This morning, we're going to talk about hope. And we're going to learn and be reminded about what the Bible says about hope and what it really is. And what I want to want you to think about, it might be different than what you think. But when we see what God's Word says about hope, it'll change our perspective of this life and bring great peace and comfort for us. Let me just ask you this. How many of you can watch the news for an hour and feel real hopeful? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way, does it? Uh, in, in 2013, I was with a friend of mine traveling through South Dakota, and we'd been driving through the night, and it was just coming sunrise, starting to get light, and we saw a small cemetery on a hill beside the highway and stopped to stretch and just have a look around. Um, I've done this many times in the past when I've been out of town traveling or staying somewhere. Is I like to uh, walk around cemeteries. I know that's kind of weird, but I like to just see the dates and the headstones and the, and the things. But uh, uh, I came across a headstone that really set me back um, from so many hundreds that I've observed through the years, so much so that I took a picture of it. And it's going to be here on the screen. Um, and it says, if you can read the bottom there, it says, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm on my way. Um, a person with 70 years of life experience, and this is the summary, um, I don't want this to be my motto, and neither do you, but does that, does that inspire hope when you read that? No. Um, anyway, this is why we need to look at God's Word and talk about the hope that we have as children of God, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19 says... If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What Paul the writer is telling us is if you are a Christian and you have hope only in this life, then we are of all people most to be pitied. And then I thought, why does he, why does he say that? Well, I can't read Paul's mind, but I can tell you what I think or what my opinion is, and that is it doesn't have to be that way because God's Word tells us about hope and what we are hoping for and where our hope is. Uh, but we need to be careful or we can catch ourselves hoping in this world and become hopeless. And that's what I was talking about earlier like news and world events and stuff, very quickly um, we get a hopeless feeling in the things that are happening. One problem leads to another and it goes on and on and people have different solutions, but it just seems that things are getting hopeless. Um, the Oxford Dictionary, we have a slide here for the what the definition of hope is here. I looked at a Webster's, a couple other dictionaries, and 
you know, things pretty much the same. It says the feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, a feeling of trust or want something to happen or be the case. That's what the dictionary says about hope. And what we're going to see as we dive into God's Word about hope, there's more to it than what we're seeing there. That's the world's definition. Um, we often think of, about hope as being things like hope the weather's nice for a picnic or other event that we're doing outside maybe. Hope we find the right house to buy or car to buy. Hope we don't get sick or hope we get well soon. Hope the boss gives us a pay raise. Uh, hope I pass the test. When I was in school, I hoped a lot, you know, on tests and stuff. I mean, that'll cause you to hope. Um, here in Libby, us who hunt uh, might hope for a moose, sheep, or goat tag we put in early in the year to, for the drawing, and we hope that, we're, that that might happen. Or you might buy a lotto ticket, hope to win the lottery. Uh, a lot of people are doing that because look at the numbers in the math in the lotteries around the country and the amount of money's there. There's people that are hoping to win big and then have their financial issues relieved because of that. Or we might hope that someday, and just fill in the blank, you know what I'm talking about and hope. But this isn't the type of hope that I want to talk about. I want to talk about everlasting hope for eternity. Um, that's, that's what I want to talk about. Think about those words, everlasting hope for eternity. Um, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it, thinking about that? And we're going to come back and talk about that more in a few minutes. But let's look at the Bible and see some scriptures that tells us about hope. And we're going to start with a scripture out of 1 Peter uh, verses one, uh, or chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So, our hope is in Jesus Christ. We, we just sang that song a, a minute ago uh, uh, with those words. And uh, even though for a short time, this life is a short time when we're talking about eternity, we might have various trials, tribulations, we can all agree to that. But our hope is in Jesus. This is Psalms 119 and uh, 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And we have another one, the next one in Psalms. 
I wait for the Lord and my soul waits and in His Word I hope. Okay, so we've already just in these verses, we hope and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but also we hope in God's Word. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. So the hope that we're talking about is going to happen because we're promised and God is faithful. Titus, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So God wants us to be with him. And that's where our hope is. Uh, uh, He's patient and kind to us. We're going to see in the story here in a little bit how God is and, and how he wants us. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So we're, we're told um, these things that are contained in God's word. We know it's been promised to us. God is going to be faithful. The things that he's told us are going to happen. We, and so see the difference in hoping for, you know, abstractly hoping for different things we hope in, but to have hope in something that is for sure. And that is what we're talking about today. How do we know this will happen? Well, if we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, listen to these words says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Um, The promised Holy Spirit is a guarantee. Who likes guarantees? Vast this before sometimes we pay more money for something because of the guarantee it has we're willing to pay more for something because of a guarantee well God's spirit guarantees the things that we're talking about today his spirit uh, helps us with that and I thought about hope and the application today and I thought I could tell you a story of my personal experiences of hope and trust in an accident that I had this past August and the things I learned. But I wanted a story from the Bible that put what we're talking about and learning about into a perspective that we could uh, relate to and understand. Now, I'm just going to warn you, this is a dark story. One of adultery, disappointment, deception, murder, death but also forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. And I would say hope. Um, Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Okay? In your Bible, it's in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel and chapter 12. And before we read this, let me tell you part of what is happening leading up to what we're going to be reading because I don't want to really read the chapter before this. When you go home today or sometime this week, 
uh, uh, read chapter 11 and chapter 12 together and you'll have the full context. But God was blessing the nation of Israel through King David's leadership and God was giving mighty victories in battle. Um, God had promised the, the, the land and the country where his people were that he would give that to them. There was other uh, nations that were there that, that were after God's people and stuff, but God was keeping his promise that he had promised. And uh, uh, great victories were coming in battle and, and whenever they tried to uh, take on God's people, they lost because God was fighting for them. But David's not out with his troops. David was at home in the palace taking it easy. Um, he saw something and lusted after it, a woman, her name was Bathsheba. And he had the power as a king to take what he wanted. And David thought he could cover this up, but in his encounter with Bathsheba, she became pregnant. So David had a problem there. Uh, her husband, Uriah, was, was um, out fighting in the uh, war that was going on. And David brings Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, back from the battle front and David tried to get Uriah her husband to go into his house and be with his wife to cover up for the pregnancy that was David's plan but that didn't happen God didn't let that happen he wouldn't Uriah wouldn't go back to his house he thought his thing was is all my buddies that I know and that I do life with are out fighting and in, in, in battle, and how can I come home and take it easy and go home and sleep with my wife stuff? So he slept outside at the king's door. Well, so that plan didn't work. The next, the next day, David invites him to a banquet and thinks, hey, if I get him liquored up uh, and stuff, he'll go home and uh, be with his wife and everything will be fine. Well, guess what? That didn't work either. Uriah got liquored up, probably had a good meal on the king and stuff and everything, but he wouldn't go home because of his loyalty uh, as a soldier, I guess you would say. And after uh, uh, that, David had to resort to having Uriah killed on the battlefront, sent command to put him on the front lines when he gets up there, withdraw and he needs to be killed. Well, they followed the king's order, so Uriah is killed. After Uriah's death, David takes Bathsheba for himself as his wife, okay? And that wasn't the end of the story because God uh, knows what's happening and he sees everything. And God sends the prophet Nathan to have a chat with David and confront him, okay? So that's a, that's a little backstory to what we're going to read here. So starting in verse 1, chapter 12. And if you need a Bible, there should be one in the row in front of you, hopefully, if you want to read along with this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Or the Ammonites, excuse me. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put your... Uh, put away your sin and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. Want to pause there for a second. I mean, look at one thing you got to get David credit for is he very quickly admitted what he did wrong, didn't he? And because of that, uh, God spared his life. David had already said what should happen in the story earlier. The man should die. God didn't require that of David. Now let's go on. Um, And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's uh, wife bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. 
But when David saw his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David rose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Isn't that an interesting story? That's real life stuff, isn't it? Um, but it speak, this story speaks of the grace and hope we have with God, even in sin and brokenness. God is kind and merciful. And David understood the hope and trust he had for God and we see it in this story. Um, in verse 14 it said, By this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. I thought, wow. Have you ever done this? Have you ever scorned the Lord in the things that you've done or not done? I would say I have. God would answer that question very easily. We might think we haven't. But that's what sin does to us. This, uh, this story that we have recorded in the Bible, it, it applies to us all. We have gotten ourselves in things of life um, that are sinful and disgraceful. Maybe not as bad as this, or maybe in some ways worse than what we see and read in this story this morning. But God has given us hope. And listen... Uh, what we read about David in the book of Acts. Now, this is long after David uh, has been gone. And the book of Acts, uh, if you want to turn to that, chapter 13, verse 22. And it says, And when he had removed him, and that was Saul was king. It's talking about what had happened back then. Saul was the king, and he was removed, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You see, um, God understood David and knew his heart, even though uh, brokenness was going to be part of David's story that we read here and David knew where his hope was and he knew it led to eternity and remember I told you we would come back to everlasting hope for eternity as the as the worship team comes this morning um, I want to read Corinthians 13 verse 13 Turn your Bible to 
1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to start in verse 13. It says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The English Standard Version uses the word abide, and the New International Version um, uses the word remain. But I like in New Living Translation, it says three things will last forever. And that is faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love will continue into eternity, and that's why we can have everlasting hope for eternity. And it happens because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Um, Put your hope and trust in Jesus. That's what I want you to go away with today and thinking about hope, what hope really means as a child of God and as a Christian, what, what hope really is. And uh, put your hope and trust in him. And if Jesus, uh, what I was thinking about uh, a couple nights ago was if Jesus were walking across the stage right now, it would be correct to point at Jesus and say, there is our hope. He's our hope. That's why uh, it's going to be everlasting hope for eternity because God's Word tells us Jesus is our hope. God, in God's Word today, the things that we could talk about, we have hope in God's Word. God's Spirit is the guarantee that the promises that have been made to us are going to happen. Uh, and those things will go on. When we get to heaven, that's going to continue. Some things of this earth will be done away, but not faith, hope, and love. Isn't that nice to, to think about that that's going to be there for eternity? So um, pray with me, please, and, and uh, let's ask God to, to help us out. Father, you do. You help us out in our hearts and our minds. There's things that we have questions about or things that we need, and we don't always uh, understand what we need to do for things to happen in our life, but we have your word, and in your word we find hope and we find things that are correct and things that we can count on. So thank you for that, God. And thank you that our living hope is Jesus and that our salvation comes through him. And we're just thankful, God, for that. And because of of what you have done when you sent Jesus to die for us and because of his death on the cross. Um, your people that uh, look to you and know you, Lord, have eternity to look forward to. Um, wow, that's amazing. And so help us, God, uh, to help others know that. And if there's somebody here today that uh, doesn't understand, that they would uh, um, ask some questions and uh, they would desire to have Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So we pray this in his name. Amen.